Hello, everybody. Welcome to another episode of To The Challenges. It's not a problem, it's a challenge. If you want to do it well, you have to do it multiple times. Obviously, like the first few times, like probably will be a bit disappointing. It's just, it doesn't always make sense. So I'm here with Isabel hey. and also with Stan. Hi. Um, and uh, of course, Sebastian Peters. Woo! Anyway, welcome everybody. We're going to talk a little bit about Scrum. Uh, and then not necessarily about everything and the details about what Scrum is. Because probably at this point you will be thrown to death with all of the information about that. Uh, but we really would like to discuss a little bit more about the Twitter side of things. And how um, Scrum actually relates to in education because uh, you will quickly find that applying Scrum in the context of university uh, takes on some unique challenges and these ones are quite unique to us and we feel that we can discuss them a little bit. So um, with having all of this said, uh, Stan, could you give us a little intro to Scrum just so that we're all on the same page? Yeah, sure. Um, so we're going to talk a, a little bit about some specific terms as well in the Scrum framework. So it might be nice if you haven't heard about Scrum to uh, have a little bit of a, an introduction to it uh, so that you know what we're talking about. Feel free to skip uh, ahead a couple of minutes if you do know Scrum already. For the rest, welcome uh, to the introduction to Scrum. So as I view it, it's a project management framework that we use at computer science projects at the TUE, uh, but it's used all over in industry as well, and mostly also in software engineering projects. The idea is to have as little overhead in project management as possible. So be short, be to the point, uh, and don't have a lot of meetings and plannings and documents that you need to keep track of, uh, just the basics. And what that means is we organize the project in sprints. These are little iterations that are usually quite short, in which you aim to finish something. So make a complete product. doesn't have to be the final product, but at least have something that works as a whole. And each print essentially has a fixed layout. So you first have a planning, you uh, sit with your client, usually called the product owner, to decide uh, what you want to do in this iteration. You plan that out into small tasks, then during the sprint you work, of course, on these things and also have daily meetings where you check in with the team, what everyone has done can be very short just to have everyone on the same page. And then at the end of the sprint, you have a demonstration to your product owner to show them what you did uh, and they can review that and uh, see if there's anything missing. Also maybe decide a bit on what to plan for the next sprint then. And also very important is that you have a retrospective, which is kind of a reflection meeting with your team to see what went well on the last sprint, what you can do better. And that is essentially it. That's all you need to do. And that is the idea of Scrum. And there are a lot of variations and things that you can talk about, which we will do uh, hopefully in this episode. One thing I did forget is that one team member is a designated person to oversee this whole process and make sure that uh, people kind of follow these guidelines or the things that you have uh, decided upon that you will do with your team and that person is called the scrum master which is something is a term that we're going to use later on so with this in mind we have prepared some statements some challenges that we think exist uh, specifically in education for scrum 
So let's just go through them and see uh, what your opinions are about that. So the first thing that I want to, to bring up is what is the ideal length of a sprint? Because I think this is kind of hard to actually decide upon because we, we have these kind of artificial projects maybe a bit in, in education. These are quite short, only eight, 10 weeks. And it's typically much shorter than, than projects that you see in industry. So what are your opinions on those? Well, I never had sprint lengths in a company, but at university, it's only like you got eight weeks and then lot, and then extra two weeks for exams. And then you can say like, okay, we can have eight short sprints, or you can say that we have four sprints, or you can maybe switch around one week or two weeks. And I feel like that's the best because if you make it like four weeks, then you would have like a midterm and then <laughs> again the end presentation, which is a little bit hard for students to comprehend. Like it is too much in one go and too hard to set really like small enough goals for yourself. So I feel like two weeks is the maximum you should go for these kind of sprints. Yeah. So I had a little stint in industry um, between working my way up and uh, typically we use two-week sprints and I really think that this is, at least for, my, uh, for me personally, the golden sweet spot between taking on a new task, then being able to learn a little bit and then having like another week for it to just apply your new lo- uh, knowledge and just build stuff. Uh, so personally, I'm a great fan of two weeks. Um, it's also a little bit awkward with uh, our system because typically you only like form your group halfway through week one. So do you count that towards the sprint already? Do you have like a one week sprint somewhere in there? But but I have one question though, Sebastian. Um, in industry, you use two two week sprints, but then yeah. is that based on a full time work week? Yes. Ah. I only did the projects in education, so I only know that world. But uh, uh, two weeks is uh, is not uh, full time, <laughs> usually as much as uh, teachers would like you to spend full time on their their courses. Uh, mm. <laughs> it's not a reality. So, uh, yeah, I think that two weeks is maybe a bit short, or shorter than you would ideally want it to be. But also at the same time, I think that. Um, because the project is so short, you cannot afford to have longer sprints. Yep. Uh, you just have uh, not enough iterations to, to actually do something meaningful and you get stuck. Mm-hmm. Uh, so I, I guess that the two weeks is also kind of appropriate, but um, still, you, yeah, the number of hours is, is, is a bit limited. Yeah, it's all about finding that groove with your teammates about the balance between how long do you want to like go reflect on the past like time that you've worked on a project so if you like want to have like longer reflections then it just makes sense that you want to like have a longer sprint because then you have more stuff to reflect about but if you just like really just want to go through it quickly and just only hit like these high points then it just makes sense to like just iterate more quickly it's it's also nice for the tutor to know what the groups are up to. And I feel like if you do like a demo every two weeks, that would work better for the tutor to know like, oh, you're standing here in the project or you're standing here in the project instead of uh, having like four weeks or three weeks or whatever. Yeah. It also it, it, uh, becomes very important to keep these scrum meetings short, right? So these, these yep. planning meetings, uh, daily standups, uh demo and retrospective as well 
because then if you if you only have a limited amount of hours in the sprint then uh, you really start to chop off time uh, of your project work if you have uh, these many meetings and then it, it becomes a burden and overhead so you really need to keep some some tabs on that yeah when corona started I had to switch. I noticed that my group wasn't working very well, so I introduced a one-week sprint, and that took a lot more of my time as well. So also for tutors to keep within like the four hours or eight hours they work per week, and then they have like two or three groups. It is also nice for them to have like a two-week sprint because that fits into their work as well. How often should you look at a scrum board? As tutor. Uh, well, maybe, yeah, that's a good question. The tutor and the, the, the students. Uh, gosh, I, I find this a really hard question because personally, like, I didn't really look that much at my own scrum board. And I always thought that they, especially since, okay, so in an ideal setting, you would have your own classroom and you have like this giant in like just a scrum board hanging on the wall so that you're constantly reminded and you have like this nice visual reference on like, okay, everybody is working on this. But I always like felt that working inside of a group, uh, I always liked to talking to everybody like constantly doing projects so i always knew what other people were working on anyways and i knew what i was working on myself so i never felt the need to look at it that often and um maybe i was also a little bit because of this too relaxed in how my uh groups should look at their scrum boards because personally i'm always been it's a, like a great tool to have the overview when it's needed but it doesn't need to be there omnipresent every time oh, that's interesting um it might be uh so for me uh, the most comfortable way in using a scrum board for me as a uh, team member is definitely uh, a physical board in a physical room where you sit with the whole team all day uh and you just have these post-its for tasks that you can just, well, it gives you some satisfaction if you finish a task and you can just walk over to the scrum board, pick up that post-it and place it into the done column. It just, it just feels nice. And then you can pick out another post-it and, and, and work on that. Um, but it's something that I, I don't really recognize when you uh, have an online scrum board, which is typically what is used. And it's not staring you in the face uh, <laughs> all day so it's it's easy to 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 click it away and not look at it yeah there's a lot of challenges for students with scrum boards like if it's the first time they see a scrum board and they have to think of like tasks and such it is really hard for a student to come up with small enough tasks so if you leave it to them and not interfere at all with them about the scrum boards, then you would see like very big task and you would think like, why isn't it this like smaller? But it's also hard for to, to, to get an overview for themselves. But usually when they use scrum, they usually update it like just before the meeting. I always go into the into the scrum 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 board just before the meeting and I look at it and then I see all those tasks being moved around <laughs> to the correct spot they are in 
I even had it while we were in a meeting, like, oh, damn, we have to update the meat board, uh, the, the scrum board. And then in the retrospective, you say, like, okay, you can update the scrum board more often because I see that you always do it just before the meeting. But they don't listen. <laughs> no, just keep keep ignoring it till just before the meeting. Yeah, for me, it it, um, it is kind of an essential tool in the sense that uh, a lot of things that are brought up in the retrospective of uh, what what students think that uh, can be improved uh, usually relate to having a good scrum board and updating it. Uh, so uh, we should have smaller tasks or uh, someone doesn't know what to do. Um, we, we get stuck on a very long task that doesn't have any uh, progress and just, well, keeps uh, someone busy all week without having any, any result at the end. Um, you kind of notice these things if you look at the scrum board more often, uh, I guess. I think it's, it's a good starting point to to have a uh, a nicely layout scrum board uh, that you update often Yeah, enough. I feel like the first step is to make the test small enough. And if they can do that correctly, then they should update it frequently and see that it actually works correctly. Because if, if you start, then usually they make the task long enough and they feel like, oh, it doesn't... It doesn't add much if I update the scrum board because I will be busy with this all, all week or something. So. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and um, maybe also uh, something that I really like is as a tutor, um, if I just open the scrum board at any point at in time, I can just see uh, how well, the, the ideal doing. world. Yes, <laughs> I can just see their progress. <laughs> so that would be very nice. I can just see. How, how things are going. And, and just by looking at the scrum board, uh, in a glance, you can usually, if it is updated, uh, you can see if they're on progress or if they're lagging behind, if there are a lot of tasks still in to do, and it's almost the end of the sprint, then, well, you might get worried. Uh, the idea is that you finish all tasks at the end of the sprint. I'm not really sure if um, uh, students feel that way as well, always. Because, well, when you know there's always a next sprint, you know you can just push it forward. And uh, that is kind of okay. And that is something that uh, I sometimes sense that there is not really a drive to actually finish all the things because otherwise someone will get angry. (laughs) Wait, what do you mean with that somebody will get angry? Well, I'm kind of comparing it to um, my reference Scrum experience is the software engineering project at the end of of, uh, the computer science bachelor. Um, It has a bit larger scope than the the DBL projects that uh, are scattered around in the uh, the bachelor. Um, But there you really had a client, uh, an external client. In in our case, it was another teacher at TUE, but in, in a sense, it is not your own thing you're actually making something for someone else and then uh, you have a sprint and you make plannings uh, with your client and you plan to finish things at the end of a particular sprint and during the sprint and toward towards the end if you uh, 
well, think you're not going to finish something, you you kind of feel bad about that because <laughs> you have a client who is expecting to see something and you cannot deliver. Well, we are the clients. As tutors. Yeah. Well, but there's a big difference in that. I think that in the situation that Stan is talking about, being able to finish at the end of the sprint feels more important because in a typical DBL or like just following it as a like class, you know, like the only point that you're really going to be get like graded is at the end, not in after each sprint. So as long as you're confident that at the end everything will be okay, why stress out so much halfway through because you have something laying around in the backlog, which you know you will get to anyway. Well, I always point my students to, you said you would do this, this and this. Why isn't this done? <laughs> I also pointed out, but I'm not really sure if there is... Um, I'm not saying that you should really be afraid of not finishing anything. I mean, of course, it, it's possible that you uh, underestimated some task and it's not going to work out in, in a single sprint thing. Uh, that's fine, of course. But you shouldn't have these long-standing tasks like finish the robot uh, and then just <laughs> keep that on the task board for all the sprints or something. Mm. And uh, But Isabel, it almost sounds like that you use it as a, some sort of a communication tool with your group on like, hey, I want you guys to commit to trying to finish this. Yes, I take the role of uh, product owner very seriously. When we're doing the planning sessions, they ask me, like, what wishes do you want to have ex executed this week or this sprint? And then I say, like, okay, I would like to see this, this, and this. And then I usually set reasonable goals for them that they actually could finish because I have experience with, like, having done it, like, two times now. So I know how the progress should should almost be so i can say like okay i would like this and this and then they can focus on that part mm -hmm. and then i come back on it like did you do what i asked you for and then they know that they are on track or not on, on track well would you be also feel confident in doing that when you're tutoring a class in which you maybe have less experience in um if it is defined beforehand like they should do a kind of this during this week or this during that week. Then I will be confident doing this. Otherwise, I wouldn't be. If I don't know that, then it's hard to actually set the goals. Like, I wish this and this from you guys. Because I don't know how much time it would cost myself. For sure, if I don't have the technical knowledge mm -hmm. or know-how on how to finish it myself. Yeah, I usually do this differently. Um, I'm not really asking things. Unless I really want to see something done in a in a, in a week, but then um, that doesn't happen too often. Um, I usually let them decide. Do you? But do you then see yourself as a product owner because the product owner kind of sets the wishes? Like I want to see a design for the project or something, or I want to see that the sensors are working or that you test at least this or something or well, uh, that there is like a separate yeah. component done or whatever. Uh, Personally, I, uh, sorry, uh, I am strongly of the opinion that you can be a product owner without 
trying to see them as deadlines. No, I don't see them as deadlines. I see them as wishes. <laughs> well, not necessarily as deadlines, but even something to call them out on. Because, uh, and I feel very strongly about this in a university setting as well. Because ultimately we use it primarily as a process for them to learn in a structured way. And I feel if you would call out on them, then I'm afraid that some people might interpret it on like, oh, finishing it is more important than finishing it on the long run and no no i didn't mean it like that it's like it's the retrospective for example like this didn't work out why didn't it work out did you think it was to some tasks were underestimated etc so uh, it's more in a retrospective way instead uh, okay. of a like teaching or punishing way uh, it's more okay, okay. on the why instead of the yeah I think for me, um, when strictly uh, talking about being a product owner, I only care about having a finished product at the end. I think that is the stance I take mostly as a product owner. So how they do that, as a product owner, I don't really care. I do want it finished, or at least I want the minimum requirements uh, finished at the end. Mm -hmm. uh, that is something that I, I care about as a product owner. Of course... As a tutor, um, I want them to make a good planning and, yeah, well, uh, guide them in a sense to, 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 to get to a good task division and divide this over the, the sprints that they have. So they start with the important stuff. Um, so don't work on the, the nitty-gritty details first that don't really add to the, to the minimum requirements. You should really finish the things that you... Uh, should finish at the end you should start with that and that is something that i want to help them with if they get stuck on that but in principle i think they they should do that themselves and if they do something uh, that is well maybe not that sensible in the first print then uh, i might let that pass and let them reflect on you did this this week how useful is this <laughs> so now you have two weeks less to work on the important stuff. And uh, that usually still works out, but they learn from that. Mm -hmm. Well, the only experience I had was at SAP. And there you sat with the client where you went to, where you, where you looked at the planning and you asked like, the client, like, we got these wishes, what do you want us to work on this week or the sprint? And then you discuss with the clients, like, okay, you would like to see this, this, and this. And then we discuss, like, okay, but maybe this will not be finished because it's too much work. So we can work on this and this instead, or this and this. So it's that's what I was used to as, like, the product owner would tell us what wishes did, they, they would want, etc. So I was like, okay, since this, is the, this should be done by the product owner and we should take the task of the product owner, we should also do something like this. I think that's that's a good point. Yeah, that the product owner should be uh, the person uh, responsible for deciding on the important things. Uh, so the order of importance of the task that you do. Yeah. Um, but I think in, in most of the projects, uh, you as a tutor are partly product owner. But I've, I also think that the, the teams themselves are a bit product owner because usually there's a lot of freedom in these projects on what specifically they want to make uh, so maybe the task is you make a robot that, that sorts in the end 
in some way, but what kind of robot they make and what kind of extra features there are is is up to the group to decide. So I think it's only fair to let them also work out the the importance ordering of those tasks. And as a tutor, uh, you're basically only looking at the the minimum requirements that you actually want to see in the end. So I guess there's some kind of a there are multiple product owners in this in these projects usually. That's actually a very good point on which I haven't really thought about before, because it also really shows that the importance, well, not necessarily the importance, but groups have so much agency typically inside of these DBLs as well, because it's almost never just make this or just fulfill my own desires. It's always you have this context and it does need to like meet these specifications, but as a group, you have so much freedom. And I think that we should be cognizant of that they have that freedom and try to support them in saying like, hey, like this is your project, go make it your own. And also give them the responsibilities that are related to it. And it's hard to organize uh, for them, I guess, uh, because it, it's kind of mixed, right? You have to do some work, yeah. Uh, but you also have to think about the work that you want to do. And uh, that is conflicting in some kind of way. Yeah. Right? You need to know this beforehand before you can work on this, but you don't know this beforehand because you kind of need to experiment and see what things that you actually can do and can achieve. Yeah. So usually this only forms during the project and not all upfront or you have some kind of um, godly product owner that tells you what to do yeah uh so that makes it a bit more complicated for the groups i i think that also illustrates that especially if you have a group so to know what you can make or like want to make um you first need to know what you're able to make to begin with or like what you may maybe want to do and i think that we can serve a very important role in that if you have a group which might just lack a little bit of insight on what is possible that you can just really say it's like hey these are the options on which you can take and i'm i understand that you're not able to fully grasp this idea or that you don't even know if this is possible or not but just to be able to give them options on like which roads they want to take into the future <laughs> interesting yeah i kind of have different opinions than you guys <laughs> but <laughs> but it's fine that's actually yeah. nice. But that's <laughs> that's mostly because when I first started tutoring, they said like, okay, you have to tutor this group and you you have to take the role of a product owner. So I took this really seriously. And I was like, okay, in my experience, product owner does this, like puts the wishes in order, like what you want to see first or what you want to see this week, etc. So yeah, it's really, it's really a different experience for me than for you guys probably. Because the wish, like the the setup of the wishes, of course, I discussed them with the with them. Like, what do you think the wishes are, etc. And then I put them in an order. Like, okay, we first want you to start on this and this and this. And it kind of helped my group a lot by keeping the documents updated. For example, that would be something that they would put like way down the list. But I put it like way up there. <laughs> yeah, there are some things that I. So. I I do tend to intervene, uh, yeah. So especially these kind of things, like 
uh, update the, the the report or something that that I think is important and otherwise uh, gets pushed down indeed to towards the end. And yeah, I will kind of intervene, but not always. And it, it also kind of depends on the group. Uh, in some groups, I feel much more confident letting them decide what to do. And some groups are totally clueless. I feel like we're talking too much about this part. Oh, <laughs> <laughs> well, for me, I think it's 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 kind of important. Uh, so you think everything is important? Yeah, that's true. <laughs> <laughs> well, not everything, though. Uh, okay, let's go to the next part. What don't you think is important with Scrum to start with? For example, uh, a feature that you always see is a burndown chart. Uh, I'm not really a fan of those. So burnout chart is essentially, it is a graph where you basically uh, graph out the remaining hours of work over time. Uh, so uh, as the name suggests, the line should be going down, which is of course very nice because it is a graph, uh, but you have to update this every day. And there are tools that automatically update it if you use uh, some advanced Scrum software or something. Uh, but in my opinion, it doesn't add anything to the project at all. It isn't essential. You shouldn't waste your time on that. For sure, if it's just a project of eight weeks. <laughs> yeah. And you can just see by looking at the task, at your task board, if you organize them properly and you have columns for things that are in to-do and doing and done, then you can just see how many tasks are still in to-do. And maybe you don't know exactly how many hours that takes, but they should be split down into small enough tasks that you that it doesn't really matter, right? Well, moreover, you know how much time they should work on the project per week. And you know they have a timesheet where they keep their hours. And you know what they are working on. So if you look at the timesheet and you see how many hours one person worked that week, then you already know, oh, they are on track. Or if, if, if some person put in like two hours in a week, you know, like, okay, you got to start working, pick up the pace, you know? Mm -hmm. So... Well, actually, I have to say, I don't really use timesheets that much in that way. Uh, <laughs> oh, I, I use it as some kind of burn down charts for the project, knowing if they put in enough work for that week. Well, actually, from my uh, Scrum standpoint, I couldn't care less about the timesheets. Actually, <laughs> uh, I do care about them because it is important to, to have some kind of logs on if there are people that are really lacking in hours and it becomes a problem later on, uh, it is important, but for just the progress of the project overall, I don't really care <laughs> if they just finish their task and in whatever way they do this, purely from a project management standpoint, I don't really care. Um, one thing I'm a bit curious about since Stan has these really strong opinions on what, like, what he favors and what he also dislikes, what do you think should be like given to the group as you should at least be um, doing this? Scrum board is something that I think is really essential. And there are a lot of variations, but at least it should list all the tasks in uh, the current sprint. So uh, what I would like to see them is see them do is to organize these, hopefully also in rows, swim lanes on the scrum board that you can immediately see where they are at at any time in the project. And 
uh, one thing that I also really think is essential is retrospective at the end. Uh, of course, you should do all these scrum meetings. So also daily standups and the planning meeting and the demo, all very important. But the retrospective is really something that um, should not be left behind. Yeah, I find the retrospective more important than the scrum board. Oh, that's a hard question. Because in the university setting, you are there to learn. And I feel like the retrospective is the best place where you learn from the past sprint. Yeah. And you can't do that even without a scrum board because so the scrum board, if you, if you just have a list of tasks, I would already be happy. Um. But a full-blown scrum board, I mean, yes, it's pretty, and yes, it's a nice overview, and yes, it's good for the tutor to see everything, but I don't feel like that's the minimum. I feel like the retrospective is the most important part because there you, you actually reflect on your work and you can see how you can improve yourself or your teammates and actually learn how to give good feedback and talk to people if they are doing something that you don't like or whatever. I feel like that's one of the most important skills. <laughs> and then if that goes well, I would say, then indeed the scrum boards and the scrum meetings, like the stand-up meetings, that if that goes well, <laughs> then, I'm, then I'm fully happy. <laughs> yeah, I think I kind of have to agree on that, uh, that the retrospective is, is more important. <laughs> yeah, I've, it's very Damn. hard for me to say <laughs> that, but uh, yeah, it should be, right? I mean... Uh, but I, I just think that the a good scrum board uh, makes so much of a difference. It makes things so much easier for the group if they actually use it, uh, because it, it it basically touches on all these issues that that groups tend to have. And I think that a good scrum board is is the first step on addressing these, and hopefully that comes from the retrospective. So in that sense, <laughs> the retrospective comes before the scrum board in some way. So yeah, I kind of agree. Well, a project usually starts with a scrum board and not with a retrospective. Yeah, it's more like a chicken and egg kind of... Uh... <laughs> yeah, situation, I know. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe you should start with a retrospective if the... Doesn't make any sense, right? No. <laughs> well, you could re retrospect on like the previous DBL. You still have to check in the, the egg problem on like your first project, but you could start retrospecting on like how did your past projects go? What are your hopes for this current project? Well, in some way, I kind of do that uh, with groups. Uh, I usually have in the first week some kind of a mini sprint to get everyone on the same page scrum-wise. So there's more emphasis on the scrum things uh, that people should know, uh, or at least try out. Uh, <laughs> and the retrospective at the end of this demo sprint is kind of uh, the a retrospective at the beginning of the project because, well, they didn't really do anything yet. So um, we've talked about some things that are, or tools that are that exist in scrum. Um, what should you force on the groups or should you force anything at all on the groups of these scrum tools? In a scrum setting, I think 
just any scrum board if they want to do it physically or digitally i'm both okay with that and doing the retrospective but i don't think as long as you just like cover like the all of the bases inside of a scrum i don't think you should really force anything more onto them but, but then you still force the basics onto them yeah but that that also comes back a little bit on how much freedom do you give them for instance like if the entire group wants to do something else than scrum are you okay with that um i once had a group that asked that on like hey we think scrum sucks it just takes away too much time up uh, i want to do something different are we allowed to and that was a hard no from me because we're kind of here to do scrum and it's still an integral part of the project in my opinion but uh, I, I do have a question for you then. What are the basics? What is Scrum? <laughs> <laughs> um, well, I, I kind of think that this question illustrates already that there are many different ways of doing this um, and that everybody kind of has their own slightly different opinions. But I think the ch core aspects are having... A good scrum board so that means that having the task well divided if they want to do it in a separate meeting or just kind of wanted to do it loosely i'm okay with both as long as tasks are well set up um, a good proper uh, retrospective and i also think that the demo is an integral part in at least scrum inside of like the university just to make sure that i'm also able to give feedback on where they're located inside of the like process wise mm -hmm. well what i noticed for example if you start a retrospective they really don't know how to start or what to do so i usually just say like okay we can try this and then i give them a way to do it it's not necessarily that i force them to <coughs> it's usually that they don't come up with something themselves well it, it basically comes down to the question on like what do i want them to have done at the end of the week. So for example, I can imagine that especially with like newer scrum groups that I would need to take the initiative, find just taking the authority on that. Uh, but especially if you go on to the later years, I'm much more of the opinion of like saying beforehand on the scrum master so that you're kind of on a page on what needed to happen. I'm just saying like, hey, you're the scrum master, you're supposed to be able to do this. Yeah, so I had a group last year and they had meetings, but they weren't actually like the stand-up meetings. They were just like normal meetings. They would talk very much about very much details. And I was sitting there like, you're wasting my time. But <laughs> I, of course, didn't say that to them. But because they said like, let's skip those meetings because they, it takes too long. I said like, no, let's try something else. And then I, that was like in week, week six or something. And then I said like, okay, let's try this. And then I noticed, noticed how great it was. So I kind of let them struggle finding it out for themselves and then proposed a solution for it. It doesn't work for every group, of course, but I just let them get to know Scrum on their own way. Yeah, but you still force them to have those meetings. Well, we had those meetings and I didn't force them to. No, 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 they were just plans and... <laughs> And I just came to those meetings and then... <laughs> <laughs> this is kind of like saying of like, oh, I just scheduled them, but they weren't allowed to leave. 
<laughs> well, I just came to those meetings because they were online meetings, so I just clicked on join, and then I would sit there, wait yeah. and wait and ah, wait till, okay. the, till the meeting was done. So just discussions mm. came down, but they still didn't do it in a very scrum-like way, and I didn't know how else to tell them except to say, yeah. like, okay, let's try this. And then I set an example. And then they followed it and said, like, oh, this, this works really well. So it's not necessarily forcing them. It's more like doing a suggestion and they notice that it works well. Yeah. I, I actually have a challenge that I kind of want to propose. And that is groups want to ditch Scrum because they're doing Scrum incorrectly, not because Scrum <laughs> isn't working for them. Mm-hmm. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Uh, then uh, the question is, what is incorrectly? <laughs> Again, um, but yeah. No, I kind of recognize what, what you're trying to say. I had a group as well where they're doing, uh, they're taking a lot of time doing all these meetings. And then they, they say, I think this is something that you both also recognize that groups are saying uh, Scrum is too much overhead. We, we don't get to do any work. And instead of indeed ditching, I would indeed first suggest to make them shorter. It's it's a bit tricky because um, an essential part of Scrum, I think, is that in the retrospective, you are allowed to change the rules on how you do Scrum in your team. So if you decide that something else works better for you, that's fine. But at the same time, uh, ditching the whole framework does not really seem like a good idea. Uh, in an educational environment uh, because part of it is to teach scrum and for them to learn scrum in yeah and what scrum is in this setting is maybe a bit ill-defined and it's also yeah they don't really have that much experience with scrum so indeed if they're applying things in a way that you think well you can you can at least improve <laughs> uh, what you're doing. Yeah, I want them to experiment with that first. What I usually you notice is that they are trying to do Scrum, but they're trying to do it in the ways that they are used to instead of ways that they can try. So if they are having a meeting, they would do it like they are, they are used to do meetings before they ever heard of Scrum. So I feel like... If a group starts with Scrum, it's not efficient. <laughs> they do it in a non-efficient way. They are tackling the points that, that they want to, but it's not doing it efficiently. And then you can guide them to do it more efficient and actually start to recognize the benefits it can give them. And yeah, usually uh, there is some kind of underlying issue that causes them to say, well, we want to do Scrum. Uh, either it is that meetings are taking too long or whatever other things that are not working out for the group. So I first try to get to those underlying issues in the retrospective uh, and try to address those first and see if that works. And of course, if it doesn't work, then they're free to maybe do something else. I have another question. If you start a demo, is the group always prepared? Because in my case, they are never prepared. They always just start it right there and then they have to start up everything and they have to prepare and they, they prepare during the meeting instead of before the meeting, at least in the beginning. Yeah. I'm also, usually I'm not trying that upfront what I expect from a demo. So usually the first demo, 
I would just sit there and say, well, we have the demo meeting, let's go. <laughs> and then let them do the talking, see what happens. I would usually ask what they should do last week, show me. <laughs> yeah, the, the, the format of a demo that I envision is uh, pulling up the task board, going over the wishes in order of importance, and then show why that wish was fulfilled. Uh, that is kind of the the format that I like as a product owner. Uh, usually then when they pull up the task board and they still have to arrange the task into the done column <laughs> as well. <laughs> and they really have to show me that it's finished. You can not just, well, if you made a login system and you pull up the login page, yeah, I don't know that it works, right? So you have to kind of prepare uh, some kind of routine to show, well, you can make an account and it will show up in the database. Look, here it is. And then you can actually log in and you can change your password. And you have to do some kind of demo routine for that. Mm -hmm. uh, you have to prepare that. Otherwise, it well, <laughs> it doesn't work. You can <laughs> I can guarantee you that it doesn't work <laughs> if you do this on the fly. Yep. Uh, yeah. But usually, for, for me, they weren't prepared. And then you have to tell them, like, you should prepare them. It would be nice. It keeps things shorter. So it's in their benefit yeah. as well. Yep. Uh, yeah. If you don't prepare it, it just takes way too long. What, what I also think is kind of important at these meetings is uh, I try to be genuinely interested in, in the project work that they did. Usually that works because I am interested. Yeah. <laughs> uh, there's usually something that goes wrong. But mm -hmm. seeing what they have done is like very fun to see. <laughs> mm -hmm. And also try to make it a bit more fun and interactive and, and let them feel proud of what they did. Uh, mm -hmm. That is also kind of the purpose, I think. Just a pat on the back. Yeah, uh, mm -hmm. I think that's a good time to do that. Mm -hmm. And then in the retrospective, you can go. <laughs> <laughs> uh-huh. Maybe we can go to the last point. Does every person in the group need to be able to be a Scrum Master? Okay, so a Scrum Master is, is the person that is essentially responsible for supervising the Scrum. So yeah, yeah, you kind of have a weird division as you have the tutor and the Scrum Master. And for me, these roles are a bit blurred sometimes. So sometimes as a tutor, you also kind of are a scrum master. Well, I see myself as a scrum master guidance. Like if the scrum master doesn't know what to do, then I will tell him what to do and then he can do it. And I'm not going to do the task for him. Yeah. I'm just going to say it like you can do it like this and then they can try it. Yeah, it's something that I maybe should try more. Uh, but also... I usually tend for beginning groups to, especially in the retrospective, because I think it's important that that goes well. I tend to take over the task of Scrum Master a bit at the beginning and try to lead the retrospective, but also try to do some kind of uh, not the standard ways of giving feedback and just do a list of things that you can improve and things uh, that went well and concrete action point that works. Um, that's fine, but it's also sometimes a bit boring. So uh, I want to do some other exercises as well that are maybe a bit more fun and a bit more inviting to actually give feedback and get people into their comfort zone and actually say something useful. 
It is kind of not my question. The question was, should there only be one Scrum Master? Yeah. Um, well, during a project, there is only one Scrum yeah. Master uh, because it's just a fixed role. Uh, that is the, the setup, and at least it, it is now. Mm-hmm. Uh, well, I feel like everybody should maybe learn how to be a Scrum Master, but learning how to be a Scrum Master is a long like, if you want to do it well, you have to do it multiple times. So I feel like a dedicated Scrum Master would make that person a good Scrum Master, but the rest of the group wouldn't know how to be a Scrum Master. Yeah, I, I, I'm kind of of the opinion that everything that a Scrum Master does, it, it really shouldn't be that hard, in my opinion. Um, knowing on how to lead the meetings, if like, um, and... You should know like all of the parts that are integral to Scrum anyway. So I kind of feel that anybody who has done Scrum for long enough should also just be able to fill in the role of a Scrum master. Um, I'm not really sure if you can actually do that then. Uh, but obviously like if you just like suddenly I just like picked up as like, hey, you go go be a scrum master obviously like the first few times like probably will be a bit disappointing but i'm of the opinion that without guidance you should easily grow within like a couple of weeks that you should be able to do so Mm -hmm. um i think that having like a special elevated status of like you're the dedicated scrum master and you're different from the group um is something that I'm personally not too fond of, but I know that probably a lot of people disagree with that. I, I often find it a bit tricky as well. Um, it's just, it doesn't always make sense. Uh, in the sense that you also have a tutor uh, that also gives feedback on Scrum-specific things yeah. already. And that sometimes, yeah, it really depends on the person, but I've had Scrum Masters that basically vanish in the group as just another team member and scrum master that really step up and try to take it seriously and uh and, and do a pretty good job in 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 being yeah uh, some sort of a leader in the team regarding scrum but yeah that's a bit hard to do maybe i think it's good for everyone in the group to know at least what the responsibilities of the scrum master are um yeah, but usually what what happens is that the scrum master gets a special like class about being a scrum master and the rest doesn't. Mm-hmm. And I don't feel like that should be the case. I feel like everybody should know what a scrum master should do. And if the scrum master doesn't do this ta- its task correctly, then the other students should say, hey, a scrum master should do this. Why are you not working on this? Yeah, because, yeah. Because I also feel like that a scrum master, everything that a scrum master should do, the rest of the group is automatically involved with. There isn't really a special thing that the scrum master should only do in certain circumstances that maybe the rest of the group will never meet. Um, it's really hard sometimes per group. You have like a very good scrum master and some groups have a scrum master which is indeed vanishes within the group. It just becomes a teammate. And I try to avoid that by indeed not forcing as myself as a scrum master. I really say to the scrum master, like, you're going to, going to do this. <laughs> or just guide it through the process. Yeah, I, I think that at least explicit 
expectation management between the scrum master and the tutor is really important because they both feel this really like yes. overlapping roles and especially like as a tutor i don't know what kind of experiences the previous scrum or like the scrum master had with his previous tutors so i'm really like being upfront on like hey maybe i like i would do the first retrospective just to like give you an idea of like how i think they should be run or just to give you um, oh no i let, let not, him try it at the, first and then if it doesn't work yeah. out then i then i step in <laughs> yeah sure. so if i'm for example with a beginning group i might be able to like hey i'm just going to do this one time so you kind of like know how i would run them take them as a suggestion please just like tailor them to how you would like it um but really be like uh, hey maybe i do the first week but from there on, I, I expect you to do it. And maybe with advanced groups, it's like, hey, you've done Scrum a couple of times. I expect you to be able to do this. If there's anything unclear, message me beforehand. But during the meetings, I expect you to uh, lead it on your own or something like that. I think that at least this communication is really important to have beforehand. Yeah. Yeah. I also think that more generally, being the difference between a regular team member and a Scrum Master is really communication uh, towards the tutor uh, and also towards the group. I think that is the, uh, not necessarily like a scrum responsibilities or something like the scrum master should prepare the, the backlog or the planning. Or uh, I think that these scr purely scrum related tasks should be owned by the whole group essentially. And the scrum master should take ownership in leading that discussion or leading uh, the meetings and keeping them short. So really uh, communication related things is something that I uh, would say the Scrum Master should really be different uh, than a regular team member. But I'm not really feeling comfortable assigning specific tasks only to the Scrum Master. I, I, I want to keep those more within the whole group, essentially. Yes, communication is a very important aspect. Also between the tutor and the scrum master, indeed with uh, with expectation management. And there, we have to keep in mind that these students are learning scrum and trying to find their own way in this. And we are just here to guide them through it and help them figure out what works for themselves. And everybody has their own way in guiding, as you can hear from us three. And we hope you can find your own way too. Yeah, definitely. Well, see you all next time. Ciao.